Talia Storm is on the show with me today, and Talia runs the StreetWorks program at Positive Living Niagara, which focuses on helping people who are struggling with uh, drug abuse. We have talked a few times in the past about what is happening in uh, in uh, Niagara and uh, a lot specifically in St. Catharines about drug use, opioid overdoses, opioid deaths, and the crisis that Niagara is facing. And I think it's one of the communities in uh, in Ontario, if you look at you know, percentage per population, we are very high on the list of uh crisis situation with opioid use. Hi, Talia. Thank you uh, for coming on the show today. Now, you are in charge of street works at Positive Living Niagara. So if you could just give me a brief um, introduction to what Positive Living is and what the street works program is. No problem. Um, so Positive Living Niagara is um, a nonprofit agency located in St. Catharines, but serving the region that seeks to support people living with and affected by HIV. Um, the StreetWorks program comes at it from a harm reduction perspective, um, hoping to prevent transmissions of HIV, Hep C, um, and that type of thing. Our program supports active substance users um, and those in their networks as well through a variety of programs. So what you are doing and what Positive Living's original mandate has rolled into um, the opioid crisis and uh, use of um, injectable drugs, drugs like methamphetamine, pills, and the, the crisis on the street of people living on the street who are struggling with drug addiction. Yep. And I think one thing that's important to remember is we see all types of people from all types of socioeconomic backgrounds um, in terms of um, our various services. So we go into some very lovely neighborhoods um, and we also serve folks who are underhoused or homeless. So we see the full spectrum in that way. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, people often think that drug addicts are only or I shouldn't put it that way. People who are struggling with the drug abuse situation are all downtown mm-hmm. crowded into the openings of uh you know empty stores or hanging out in front of a building and people do need to realize i think that an opioid problem can happen to anyone and some of them start with i was in a car crash or i had an accident and I had to have knee surgery for example or something like that and an opioid like oxycontin is uh, prescribed and it doesn't take long with a drug like oxycontin to develop a dependence and then that can roll into any other kind of uh, drug use so number one getting off of the oxycodone but then you're dealing with fentanyl that is in the drug supply and that's what's killing people Yes. So fentanyl has been around in Niagara for almost about a decade now, um, and we certainly saw it hit very hard about, I would say, six to eight years ago, um, and still very much in our communities. We know right now, regardless of substance, it is a very poisoned or toxic street supply. People never know what they're getting. Um, So even just recently, we had someone report that they bought what they thought was crystal meth, um, and they went down with an opioid overdose. So we can um, draw conclusions anyway, that there was likely fentanyl or carfentanyl in that substance. You have the um, supervised consumption site at uh, Positive Living. 
And I think that uh, just to talk about some solutions, because I think we need to look at solutions to help people understand. One of the solutions was to have the supervised injection site. But how does that help? Because a lot of people think, well, all you're doing is giving people, you know, the place where they can go and inject drugs and it's not helping the situation. Yeah, so um, to your to your first point, CTS really does serve a neighborhood. So CTS is consumption and treatment services. Um, we live in a world of acronyms and, um, and so it really does just serve a neighborhood. The work we do is admittedly, they are Band-Aid solutions in many ways because we can provide all of these wonderful initiatives, but until the drug laws and policies shift, there's only so far that we can go. So CTS is about far more than certainly just consuming. We have a lot of community partners on site. So our goal is to keep people healthy as long as we possibly can given their substance use. So if and when they are ready to explore uh, whether they want to address their use, they don't have to deal with things like HIV or Hep C. Of course, we know that some folks have no desire to slow down or stop using, and that's okay too. They are still human beings who deserve the right care and treatment in our community. Um, so through our partners, which include EMS, uh, the REACH Clinic, Quest Community Health Center, CASN, uh, Niagara Region Public Health Nurses, we offer so many services embedded in the site. So it's almost a one-stop shop for folks in terms of what they need to access. In 2021, you had 13,000 visits yeah. to, uh, to the consumption yeah. site, and um, you do have overdoses there. Yes, absolutely. Uh so um, in 2021, I believe it was 313 overdoses reversed on site. So since the site opened about three and a half years ago, give or take, we've reversed well over 800 overdoses. Um, so all to say it's giving folks that second chance um, to, to continue living their lives. You know, the folks we serve are our parents and kids and brothers and neighbors. Um, and so it's, you know, there's, there's a phrase that some people use frequently. We don't use it too much, but dead people can't recover. That said, we don't use that term that much because sometimes for folks, their goal isn't recovery or isn't abstinence, and that's okay, and they still deserve that support and those services. People might think that uh, if you choose to use drugs and you've been offered support and you continue to use drugs, well, you know what? We don't care about you because you're not making an effort. It, it's far more complex than that. We know that mental health and trauma can be rolled in. We know right now folks are struggling with housing more than ever, the cost of groceries, the stress of the last few years and the pandemic has taken a toll on everybody. We can't ignore that either. Um, so it's very, very complex. There are no easy solutions. There is no one solution. If there was, we wouldn't be in this disaster. How does a safe drug supply help? Because that's another, again, that's something that people, you know, and rightly so. I mean, this is a hard and complex issue to understand, as you've been saying. But if we're saying, okay, we're going to give you safe drugs, I think it's understandable that a lot of people think that that's saying it's okay. Right. You can keep using, there you go. Yeah, so Safer Supply is an initiative that in the harm reduction world we're, we are really pushing for. So that is, is um, one of the pieces of the puzzle that can help disrupt this. So people right now are buying their substances on the street. They don't know what it is. It is a poison supply. They come to their harm reduction program. They get supplies to use it safely to prevent those transmissions. They get Narcan just in case of an overdose. If they're in St. Catharines and able to access the site, they do so. That's all wonderful. 
that's great. Everyone is using the resources that are available to them. But where we have the challenge is even though they're doing that, it still goes back to buying the poison on the street. So without shifting that, we're not going to see a very big difference. We do have a doctor locally prescribing safer supply right now uh, for about a year, and the outcomes have been phenomenal. We have folks who had not been able to maintain housing for a decade prior who have now been housed stably for a year. We have folks who say it feels really good that I don't need to steal from the store right? Or that I don't need to break into somebody's home to steal things in order to get money for my next fix. So it provides a level of, of comfort and safety, both for the, the person who is accessing that program and for our community at large. Um, so we've seen some really, really tremendous benefits there. Alcohol is a substance. Cannabis is a substance. We can walk into a store and purchase those substances and know exactly what we're getting. We know if it's 5% alcohol or 40% alcohol. We know if it's THC or CBD. And that helps us in that moment make our decisions engage, right? What, what, what works for us, what we're looking for, what we need, what we want the desired effects to be. Without safer supply, we don't know that. It's roulette all the time. Um, and so that is a very effective tool to intervene. It is important to note that Safer Supply right now is there are um, like qualifying guidelines that are required. So it is geared towards folks who are injecting substances, who are injecting fentanyl specifically daily, right? And then they're looking also at, at the person's body and how it's doing and the other physical factors. Um, so it's certainly not anyone who can walk in and just access that at this point, um, but it certainly does disrupt um, the, the constant cycle that we see. And and again, uh, fentanyl can get into the uh, methamphetamine supply, which, of course, that's another drug where people say, well, you know what, you did that, so it's your fault. But cannabis as well, or um, I uh, interviewed Steve Borisenko a while ago, and his son died by, by overdose, and he was uh, taking, uh, I think it was, I think Xanax or something like that. That's kind of a normal drug that, that we are prescribed uh, by doctors but he had to go to the street. Yeah. Got to the point and um, and there was a pill with fentanyl. Yeah, we have seen fentanyl in all types of substances now for years. That includes cocaine, that includes crystal meth. So one thing that we're often talking about is, you know, how do we reach folks who think they're not at risk of an opioid overdose, even though they're using other substances? Because we hear, oh, I just use coke, I'm fine, I'm safe. And a couple summers ago, we had a rash of deaths from folks who thought they were using cocaine and, and it was tainted with fentanyl. So if you pair that with someone who doesn't typically use opioids, their tolerance is also zero. Um, so that wallop of fentanyl is even more dangerous. Yeah, that was one of the interesting things that I've learned, too, is that that someone who's taking, you know, this amount of um, heroin or fentanyl or heroin laced with fentanyl or any other kind of drug, um, when they if they get off that drug for a period of time, if they go, you know, if they start to use again and they say, oh, well, this is what I used to use, so this amount, so I'm going to do that again, their body, and it's very much like alcohol, right? If you don't drink for a while and you have a beer, and I know that feeling, you're looped. Yep, absolutely. So, but what happens to um, the people um, who are starting to use an injectable again? They die. 
or they end up in an overdose situation that is hopefully reversed by naloxone, which is the next, or Narcan, which is the next thing I wanted to ask you about. We talk a lot about people who die, but you've had um, I, over 700, I think you said, uh, reverses of overdose at the consumption site. And we also need to look, I think, at the number of people who are taken by EMS to the hospital yep. who are fortunate enough to survive an overdose situation. I think one key thing to remember when it comes to um, hospital statistics or EMS statistics is that is a piece of the picture. It is not the full picture. We know that um, only about a quarter of people call 911 in an overdose situation. So it's important when we're looking at those numbers to also think, this is a quarter of the story. There's a lot more happening. So the site is a good example. We we don't have to engage 911. Um, luckily at the site, we are we have a wonderful partnership with Niagara EMS. So we actually have two medics on site at all times. And so we're not using that traditional route, but that's over 800 overdoses since the beginning that haven't been transported to hospital. Um, so I think it's important to, to remember that as well, that there is a general distrust of the system. And, and for a number of reasons, people are apprehensive to make that call. Um, so yeah, the numbers are high. Um, in 2021, it was a record high um, for, I mean, across the board in, in all of the categories. Um, so it, it's not getting better. <laughs> Uh, BC um, recently got to permission from the federal government to legalize a certain amount of drug that is deemed for personal use. And yes. so people would not be arrested if they were found with a, a certain amount of, of a small amount of drugs that would be considered personal right. use. Yes. How does that help? Yeah, so that is definitely a step in the right direction. The BC model is flawed, I will say, um, but we have to start somewhere. So it is a step in the right direction. One important distinction is that it's actually decriminalized, not legalized. So those are two okay. different things. So legalized is where we see um, cannabis or alcohol. Decriminalized means that you can still, in theory, have some mishaps, um, but you're, it won't go on a criminal record. So it's no longer a criminal offense. But you could be um, arrested for, for that kind of possession? Yeah, I'm, I'm not completely sure about okay. how they plan on rolling that out in BC. So I, I'm, I'm not super comfortable speaking to that, but we're no, no, that's fine. watching that closely. Um, my understanding is that it is a three-year pilot um, where I think there are some challenges in looking at the quantity. Um, so it is 2.5 grams, which is incredibly low. And there are a lot of factors to consider within that. Whenever we want to shift laws or policies, or even when we're developing programs internally, it is of utmost importance to consult people who are going to be affected by these changes to get that feedback. Um, and so as we move towards decriminalization as a snail space, at least we're moving, but it's a snail space, um, it's important to continue to loop in people who use substances. So we know that, hey, if we change this law or policy, what does it need to look like in order to actually make a difference in your life? right? What does that mean? And so we need that feedback. One example I have is when we were working on the CTS application, we kind of pictured that we would do a noon to midnight model, that type of thing. And we surveyed the folks who access our service and they overwhelmingly said that they wanted morning hours. That shocked us. So if we hadn't done that consultation, 
we would have opened a site that was not meeting the need of our community. And so when we talk about safer supply or decriminalization, folks who use substances need to be a part of that so that they are effective changes. And uh, uh, Vancouver, of course, will be a really interesting as part of that um, that study with decriminalization because it is the epicenter of opioid deaths. Yes, they are under the microscope. I think everyone will be watching them very closely. We also know in Canada, drug trends tend, not always, but they tend to move west to east. And so we are very fortunate in some ways that we can see what's coming and, and, and plan and prepare. So another challenge that we have in our communities right now is um, around inhalation. So at the site, folks cannot smoke their substances. It is a barrier in service. Um, but right now in BC, inhalation is the leading cause of overdose death. So we need to continue to shift and stay on top of those things and, and look at our provincial models as well. That's really interesting. Why has it gone to inhalation? Because you don't, I've never heard that before. Yeah, interestingly, um, you know, uh, in terms of harm reduction messaging, we would often say, inhalation is much safer, right? It's safer in terms of HIV transmission, hep C transmission, abscesses, wounds, that type of thing. And historically, it was also a little bit safer in terms of overdose risk. We are not seeing that in the same way right now. So again, pointing to the toxic supply of substances on the street. So regardless of the way in which people are using now, that risk is still incredibly high. Recently, I think it was just actually last week, um, you and uh, uh person from the regional addiction services, so Niagara Regional Addiction Services, made a presentation to the region's health committee that deals that deals with, with uh, drug issues. And one of, what you were talking about was to adopt um, a resolution that was very similar to one that's already been done in Windsor, Essex, and I, and I think in, um, in Simcoe, Muskoka, if I'm yeah. correct. What is that? Yeah, so um, you're right in that there were two motions from other communities. So Windsor and Simcoe, you're absolutely right about that. So um, here in Niagara, we have the Overdose Prevention and Education Network of Niagara open. Um, so my co-chair Brenda Yendel and I presented, um, and it really is, uh, and a motion was brought forward to um, advocate with the provincial government to increase supports. So to really examine safer supply, to really look into decriminalization um, and to look at these inhalation measures. We also right now have a cap on the number of sites provincially that can exist. So we get asked all the time, are you going to open another site? We cannot. We cannot open another site right now because provincially there is a cap of 21 and we have reached 21. So there is not that opportunity. So the, the motion is really um, pushing the urgency of the, the challenge that we're in. We saw firsthand during COVID how quickly public health measures could come together. They were necessary, they were a good thing. We have been screaming from the rooftops for more than a decade about the overdose crisis and it is only getting worse as time goes on. So we need to start treating this with the same urgency that we have done with other public health initiatives in the last few years. Um, so we were pleased to say at the social services committee that the motion did pass. Um, there was only one naysayer. Um, so all to say um, certainly a step in the right direction. As you said, there's, there's a lot of um, agencies and services in Niagara that have come together. But Dr. Herji is also very on site 
with the motion and with dealing with the opioid crisis. And, and, and now he can sort of refocus on that again. But the chiefs of the chief of police and Niagara Regional Police are also very interested in in stemming this um, without having to arrest people. And that is part of what the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police are also asking for. And this isn't new. And I think that it's interesting that the police who are out there, they're not out there just to arrest people. So I know that there's a there's a program um, called MCERT, and they and they're matched with police to go to these kinds of events, and uh, it's it it's interesting. It's an interesting program, and it's there's many there's a bunch of uh, communities across the province who have a group like this, but they go to a nine one one call that they suspect might be. Um, uh, a violence call, but is drug related or mental health related because we can't, you know, discount the the connection between um, drug use and and mental health. But the idea is that they go and if it's a, a, um, a situation where the person needs to be arrested, they're arrested. But it might be that situation again, where it's a, an issue that's dealing with a mental health problem or, or a drug addiction problem. And those people are taken to hospital. But we know that the hospitals can't cope with the with the number of people because there just are not enough beds. Yeah. So, are we looking at um, more beds, or I mean, is going to the hospital a band aid solution to to uh, what we have? Yeah, it's it's very complex in that way. We would love to see for overdose calls and mental health calls no police involvement. It is most often not a criminal concern, right? People are unwell. So if we can shift those responses, and we know there are lots of movements right now to re-examine the way in which we do things, um, then, then I think we would see some more success. The hospital is overrun. Everyone is overrun right now. Um, but I think there's also some challenges in um, the mental health and medical side where we have what we call the concurrent disorders. So substance use and mental health together intertwined and not a sound understanding of how to best support folks who are in that boat. Um, so, it, so it is incredibly complex in that way. Another option uh, that has helped a lot is naloxone and Narcan. Yes. And there's, um, I took a, a course on how to recognize someone in an overdose situation, how to administer um, Narcan, and I have a kit. I'm pretty, I live downtown, so I see a lot of what we're talking about and I'm, and I'm pretty well versed in, in, you know, recognizing what could be an overdose situation, but I'm afraid to approach that person because I'm worried about what's going to happen. So what do you tell the public? I mean, people can help. We can all help. But what do you tell people who say, I'm not going near that person. I'm afraid. Yeah, I mean, there are still other ways to intervene. You can always uh, make a phone call and, and ask medics to check somebody out. But approaching someone with kindness and just saying, hey, are you okay? Tapping on the shoulder, just asking that question, right? So oftentimes people will rouse and, and they are okay. But even just showing that compassion of saying, hey, I'm Talia, are you doing okay today? I'm a little bit worried about you, um, can go such a long way. 
our folks tend to be so touched by those small acts of kindness because that is not what their average day looks like a lot of the time. It is quite the opposite. There is still a ton of stigma around substance use and around mental health as well. Um, and so, so those little micro actions of kindness go such a long way um, in terms of that person's sense of self and, and their own empowerment as well. Talia, thank you so much for uh, for uh, talking to me about solutions. I think it's uh, I think it's um, you know what people need to understand, and really all of the what you talked about comes down to that sense of human kindness. Yes, and the the need to help people. Yes, they are people. They are our neighbors.